Hosea chapter 5, verse number 7 reads as follows. They have dealt treacherously against the Lord, for they have begotten strange children. Now shall a month devour them with their portions. Blow ye the coronet in Gibeah, and the trumpet in Ramah, and cry aloud at Beth-Avon, after the O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel have I made known that which shall surely be. The princes of Judah, which are like them that remove the bound, therefore, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. Ephraim is obsessed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked after the commandment. Therefore will I be unto Ephraim as a moth and the house of Judah as rottenness. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and sent to King Jerob. Yet could he not heal you nor cure you of your wound. For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, as a young lion in the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away and none shall rescue you. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction. They will seek me early. Let's pray before we talk about these verses. Dear God, thank you for gathering us here in your house today. Rainy Sunday, glad everyone could make it out. Lord, be with us now as we try to learn from your word, to study your word, to make your word uh, living in our lives. Thank you that we have the chance to even learn it and bless this whole congregation as we start our Sunday school this uh, Sunday. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been studying the book of Hosea, and we've been going into chapters 4 and 5 of this book. In chapters 4 and 5, as you recall, go into a more traditional uh, prophecy-type study of uh, what prophets normally do, right? They give God's message, they give the warnings, that kind of stuff. You remember the first three chapters, a little more story-based, a story, right? Now we're going into, okay, this is what Hosea has to say to the people of Israel, right? This is his message. And the message started off in chapter 4 with the accusations, right? He had to run down the list. Hey, this is the stuff you guys are doing. This is the sin you guys are doing. He ran down the list in chapter 4, talking about how corrupted that country had become from top to bottom. Like people, like priests, he said, right? That it wasn't just the people, it was the priests, it was everywhere, right? It was rampant in society that they had turned away from God. Chapter 5 is what we started last time, right? And chapter 5 is the continuation of that, right? The continuation of that is kind of an overview saying how bad had it gotten? How bad had it gotten, right? And again, in verses 1 through 6, we talk about how wholly committed to doing whoredoms, right? How defiled Israel was. That's what we saw in those verses. And it was so bad, verse 4, we looked at specifically, verse 4, was that they would not turn from their ways, right? They would not frame their doings and turn unto their God. They would not turn from their own ways and turn back to God's ways. There's no way, right? Because they were so given over to that lifestyle of sin. And we studied last time, there's multiple possible reasons why. Number one, the most obvious one, is probably because they liked it, right? They had lived the lifestyle of sin. They were used to it. They were happy with it. They continued with it. God's stuff, forget about it. No way we're returning back to that. On the second hand, perhaps they were ashamed to turn back to God. They had lived the life of sin. They had lived their own way. And now when you say, turn back to God, frame your doings toward God, they'd be like, oh, no, I can't. I'm already too bad. I'm too corrupted. No way. I can't do that. Uh, you know, I'm ashamed. I don't want to get in the presence of God anymore. He'll think I'm bad, whatever. 
And we know, of course, that's a true feeling of many folks even today in terms of their relationship with God, right? That some people turn their back on gods because they feel happy doing whatever it is they're doing, living the ways of the world. That some people who may have taken the wrong step sometimes fall in the trap of saying, oh, I'm too bad now. I can't go back. I can't turn to God. And of course, we know that's wrong. God forgives all. God forgives all. But they were so bad, it said in verse number six, that when they finally do come to seek the Lord, right? They shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. And right, we talked about how these people basically lived their life badly their whole life. And all of a sudden, they're hoping for the miracle at the end. And God's saying, well, that's not the way it works. It doesn't work that way. That you can't just say, I will do whatever I want. And hopefully at the end, when I'm in the big trouble, I just say, okay, God, come now. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. God says, it's going to withdraw from these people. And we know, of course, that that's exactly what did happen from the history. The overview we started from the outset, which is what happened to the country of Israel of that day, right? That they had turned so far away that by the time the bad things happened, it was too late. It was too late. So we see the continuation of the explanation of the prophecy regarding those things in verses 7 through 15. In verses 7 to 15, uh, we hear... uh, Hosea explained what's going to happen to all these different tribes, the tribes of Israel, right? What's happening to, to Ephraim and Benjamin. All these kind of bad stuff that are coming up on the horizon. The consequences of their action, the judgment for all of their actions, all of their sin over the years, right? And it's a judgment not just for Israel, but for Judah too, right? It says in verse 11 that they, that they, they, uh, that they would be oppressed, broken in judgment. Right? Because they walk after the commandment, right? Therefore, verse 12, what's going to happen to Ephraim, right? And the house of Judah. It says, God will be to Ephraim as a moth into the house of Judah as rottenness. So this is the first judgment that Hosea is promising to them, right? That God is promising to them, right? That they'll be treated as if a moth or rottenness. Now, I don't I don't, I've never had moths in my house, right? But I think we understand the general concept of what's a moth and why, do people, why are people scared of moths and why do people buy mothballs and stuff like that. It's because if moths get into your clothes, they'll start to slowly eat them, right? That's my general understanding of it, and I think that's fairly scientifically correct, right? Moths eat your clothes. That's why you put mothballs in your drawer, then they they'll smell the smell and they won't uh, go in your drawer, right? But the idea is that, you know, they, you know, moth, how big is a moth? A moth is like this big, right? How big is a moth? It doesn't just like destroy your old clothes in one day. It slowly eats away at it, right? How much can a moth eat at a time, right? It's a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and wears away at your clothes, right? Same thing with rottenness. So something goes rotten, it doesn't go rotten right away, right? You guys know that. You know, if you've, Put something in like your refrigerator and you forget about it and you leave it there for like you know a couple weeks you know after like one week it'll still look like a food right even after like a week and a half it will look like a food maybe it'll have some spots on it right maybe after two or three weeks now it's covered in like white fuzz and stuff it does not look like a food anymore right that's the kind of uh decay rottenness that's how rottenness works right decay you know, some of you guys know I live in Daly City, right? And I see decay all around because we have fog everywhere. It causes everything to rust, right? When I moved in the house, like, uh, 
what, eight, nine years ago, we had this brand new like uh, backyard patio furniture type set, barbecue grill. We had barbecues, we had it out there. It was great for the first couple times. And then last year, I go and check on all my equipments and stuff when we want to have a barbecue again, right in the backyard. And what do, we, what do you see? You open up the grill inside, there's rust everywhere because all the crazy fog, right? And now my chairs, they've been slowly falling apart. Like, you know, you figure these are outdoor. They're built for outdoor. They're patio furniture, right? But even the strong Daily City fogs, they made them start flaking off. You can literally flake off some of the metal on the chairs now. So it's something you don't notice, but it happens and it ruins stuff. That's the kind of punishment that God had in mind for the children of Israel. In fact, it was happening at the time Hosea was talking. Because we talked about in general how this country, right? Remember, Israel back then was a country. They had a king, they had riches, they had their own territory, their own military and all this stuff. But what was happening? Their country was slipping, even at that time. Was it a huge, big thing? No, no, no. It wasn't like a, a catastrophe or whatever, right? But the country was slipping, it was declining, it was decaying along with the people. As the people continued to decay in their lifestyle, right? As they continued to decay and get more rotten in the way they were acting and turning more to sin, more to idolatry, the country also slowly kind of ground down that maybe you're not so strong anymore, not so rich anymore, so on and so forth. In fact, some people speculate, well, isn't that similar to what's happened to the United States today? I don't know. It's subjective. I'm not the expert or evaluator, right? But some people believe that, hey, why is it, why is it that the American economy getting worse? American security getting worse? Does that have something to do with the way that the American lifestyle also is getting worse nowadays, right? That Americans don't live the godly lifestyle as much as they did in the past. Could it be true? Maybe. Maybe. We have some precedent for it back in the days of Israel. Because exact, that's exactly what happened to them, right? That's exactly what happened to them. Things got worse and worse. But they didn't notice. They didn't notice. They didn't realize it. They kept on doing what they were doing regardless. And that was a problem. How much of a problem, you know, what, how do they deal with this problem? They did in verse 13, right? This is when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound. What did they do? They sent to King Jerob, and he could not heal you nor cure you of your wound. So when they started to realize maybe something's going wrong, their reaction was to turn not to God, but once again to turn to man, right? Jerob's just a guy, right? They said, maybe this king can help us, right? Our country's having a problem. Maybe it's financial difficulty, security problems, whatever. We're going to turn to this other king. Can he help us? Can he save Israel, right? Well, that was their, their idea, and they put their faith in the wrong thing, right? A lot of times, we in our lives, facing problems, we try to turn to our own solutions first, right? To see if man can help save us. A lot of times what we need is we need God first. That's the way God wants us to turn to him, right? That's what this whole chapter has been talking about, right? This whole chapter 5 is about how, why these people aren't turning back to him. Why aren't these people turning back to him? And we see, why, and we see the continuation of how misguided they were. Until it gets to the point where in verse number 14, it says what? What does the judgment come to now? In verse 14, it says, I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, no less as a young lion under the house of Judah. Now, 
I think I've seen enough of these uh, nature documentaries in my life, if you watch Animal Planet or whatever, to know that, hey, when lions eat stuff, they're not like the nicest folks, right? If you watch it on the Nature Channel, there you can see like the gazelle is like jumping on the field or whatever, running around. Then out of nowhere, like behind some bush, the lion jumps out and you know what happens next, right? And jumps on the animal and rips it to shreds and eats it, right? That's how they eat. That's what lions do, right? And so there it goes in the animal kingdom, the whole circle of life, right? As, uh, as, as, as you all know. And, uh, you know, as the, as the lion does that, and it says here in the verse, a young lion. You can imagine a young lion, right? You have more energy, more energetic, right? Ripping some animal to shreds, right? This is the kind of judgment that God is saying is going to come to Israel and Judah, right? This is coming down the pipeline. This is not going to be the slow burn. It's not going to be it's rusting away. It's getting worse and worse and turning to turn back now. It's going to be the big thing. It's going to boom, boom, big thing happening. And we know that historically speaking, as I said from our initial overview, the big thing happened was they didn't have a country anymore. They got taken over, right? They got taken over. Their people were taken into captivity. It was a horrible time for Israel. That's what was coming. That was the big event. That was like a lion coming in, right? And just devouring this country because of the fact that they didn't turn back to God. They did not turn back to God. They, they said, you know what? We keep going on our way. And there's all these little things, little things. Didn't make a difference. So now here comes the big thing. Let's see if the big thing makes a difference, right? The big event. The shock event. The shocking event to them, right? And why did God do this in verse 15 to wrap up our look at this chapter? Verse 15, I will go after he does this. After the big thing. to the big lion comes and does the bad thing. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense. Acknowledge their offense. And seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Why does God do this? God does this because he wants the people to seek that. That's where this affliction comes from. Right? God cares about these people. He wants them to turn back to them. So he gives them affliction. <coughs> this is something we have to understand. You know, some people out there, they think that God is all, you know, Gumdrops and roses, all great, 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 everything, right? There's a lot of people out there that think that, you know, God is so great and never do anything bad, right? But we see the countless biblical examples of times where God promises that there will be bad stuff, even to the people that believe in him, even to his own children, right? The children of Israel. And why is that? Because God wants things to happen along his way. Right? Some people out there preach this thing called, and you know, it's been in the news recently because the uh the new president evidently believes in some of this stuff and has uh, spiritual advisors that believe in this stuff uh, called the prosperity gospel, the prosperity gospel. And that means that's, that, that, that's a very simple concept. Their concept is that, oh, if you believe in God, you will be prosperous. The more you follow God, the more he'll bless you. And of course, you'll be rich. Now, there's no surprise that someone like Donald Trump would mind that theory because he would say, like, oh, clearly I must be doing right. God's blessing me. I'm a billionaire, whatever, right? And all this stuff, right? So that's kind of, you know, in the news recently because some of the spiritual advisors believe in that, right? But actually, that theory is 100% wrong. It's not consistent with the Bible at all. God does not promise you all 
to be prosperous and rich. Otherwise, everyone in this audience here, I'm sure you all be millionaires by now. You'd have like huge houses and drive fancy cars and all that kind of stuff. And I know you guys, I know you guys are like me. You don't have huge houses or fancy cars and whatever, right? You guys are just regular folks. God doesn't promise all that. In fact, God sometimes promises you guys affliction, promises you guys bad stuff because he gives us bad stuff to help keep us in line. Why did he give Israel all this bad stuff? Because he wanted them to seek him, seek him. The reality is a lot of times when we do have the blessing, when you are like the millionaire, the billionaire, whatever, you don't feel like you need God that much, do you? You say, oh boy, I've got everything taken care of already. I live the life of luxury. I have whatever I want, I can afford, I buy. I don't have to worry about where's my next paycheck coming from. I don't worry about how I'm gonna pay my mortgage. I don't have to worry about, oh, what school my kids can go to. I can send them to any private school in the world or whatever, right? They're prosperous and happy. They don't need to worry about, oh God, I need God, I need your help. God, I need your support, all that kind of stuff. In fact, a lot of times, it's so strange, right? It's only when we face the bad times that we realize how much we need to rely on, depend on, turn to God. And that's, you know, that's a, I think that's a reality. The reality I've seen played out in my own life, right? In my own life. You know, some of you guys have heard me talk about this before, right? And about how I got into, you know, serving God in, in many capacities. And it's a strange story that, you know, once upon a time when I was back in high school, in high school age, you know, throughout middle school, elementary school, and high school, I was a good student, right? And uh, looking back now, you know, these seem like very trivial stories, but at the time it was like a big deal, right? To be a good student, right? Your parents make a big deal of it. You get good grades and all this kind of stuff, right? But in my uh, sophomore year at Lowell High School, once upon a time many years ago, was when I had one of my worst uh, worst grades ever because for whatever reason I just did not understand geometry right geometry was like the hardest class in the world for me is the first class I was getting literally D's and F's in right and that was going to show up on your report card right and it was pretty bad to have that on your report card to have a D or an F or whatever right and uh, you know I guess back then it seemed like a huge deal to imagine yourself in high school oh my goodness you're going to have a uh, an F on your report card or a D on your report card. You did so badly in this, in this class, right? And, uh, you know, I remember uh, the thing that also, like, that got me all worked up was that, you know, a counselor tells me, oh, you know, I saw your, your grades are really bad in this class. I heard from a teacher or whatever. It means that if you get a bad grade, like a D or an F, you have to go to summer school, right? So, oh, summer school? Oh, my God. Oh, my. That's like the worst thing ever, right? Summer school. Let's go to summer school. And, you know, in the, in the old days, in the olden days, right, I used to be able to have, in summers, because I was in school, I was to go out to math camp, right, like many of you guys used to do. And uh, you guys helped out at math camp for many years or whatever. And so I said, oh, I looked at this coming up. It's like, oh, I'm doing really bad in school. What do I need to do, you know? I need to, so what do I try to do? I start to pray a lot more than I used to pray, right? I start thinking about it all the time. I need help, God, right? God, I need your help. How can I, how can I get out of this situation? And I turned to God too. I said, you know, God, look, I'm praying to you. I want to spend the summer not going to summer school. I'd rather go to math camp and help out or whatever, right? That sure sounds a whole lot better than, uh, than, than summer school, right? And all this stuff and having bad marks in your records. 
And so I turned to God. I turned to God all the way. And of course, obviously, I studied very hard too and tried to do everything I could, right? And I talked to the teacher and tried to work out a deal. And I did work out a deal with the teacher. He said, look, he says, uh, here's the deal. Whatever you get your grades on the last, you know, last uh, trimester, the last report card, the last third of the, the, uh, the class, I'll give you that as a grade. And we'll throw out the first uh, Ds and Fs in the first grade. I won't average those in, right? And so, you know, this is a time I really turned to God a lot and relied on him and my own studies and everything. And somehow, some way, I pulled my grade up to C. Oh, I got a C. So I didn't have to go to summer school, pass the class, didn't get a D or F on my, my records and stuff. And then that summer, I had to follow through with my, my promise, right? I showed up to the math camp, right, every single day. And rather than just do like they did in the past where I just hang out with my buddies and leave, I said, oh, look at what everyone else is here doing. They seem to be doing other stuff, right? And back then, it was like, you know, you'd see like the older folks there. What do they do? Well, they help clean up and set up, right? They don't just leave right after they teach the class, right? There they are. They're cleaning up. So, oh, I should go help them clean up too, right? And do what I can, right? Oh, they're up there, uh, you know, praying together. Oh, I should go join them. I should go pray, pray together for the math camp and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I see all this other stuff. It, you know, through that low event, right? The low event in my schooling career, it kind of pushed me toward, hey, maybe I have to do more for God, right? To make it up to him, to help to help honor him for how he had blessed me, how he got through my issues, my afflictions, right? So I started seeking him. And from that point on, I continued to seek him. I continued to say, hey, God, what can I do for you to get ahead of the, the, get ahead of the curve, right? Instead of being behind it. Instead of, God, I'm waiting for the affliction, and then I'll get it right. It's no, I want to make sure, God, I'm right with you. And I'm remembering to serve you, to pray to you, to honor you, and to do these things. And I've tried to do that ever since. You know, some people, I've seen similar situations go exactly the wrong way. And we see it still, to this day. This is a very consistent thing with the high school group. You guys work with the high school or the middle school group. You see it in the same, the same the similar type of situation. And people taking the wrong attitude, right? Back, grades are a big deal to people when you're in middle school or whatever, right? And a lot of times, the parents go like this. Oh, you're getting bad grades now. I know the solution. The solution is that you don't go to church anymore, right? And people will tell me, oh, I can't go to church anymore. My parents said I can't go to church anymore because I'm getting bad grades. That's the wrong attitude, the wrong attitude. The reality is it's not coming to church for one and a half hours every week that is you know, causing problems in academics, right? The problem probably lies somewhere else with your studying, your study habits, whatever it is, right? Other problems in your life. What you need when you're dealing with those other problems is that you need God, not less, but more, you gotta have a God you can turn to to support you in this time of affliction, right? It kind of helps you get back on balance to help you realize how you've gone wrong when you turn back to him. That's what God wanted when he told Hosea to give this message, right? It's not just, oh, I give the affliction, like we said last time, not just I give the affliction, and now people just say, okay, God, help me now. It's what? Verse 15, it's they acknowledge their offense and seek my face, right? It's not just, oh, help me. It's to turn back to him, right? It's, it's twofold, right? It's not just, oh, God, help me, and I'm not going to do anything. It's God, I see the errors of my ways. I'm going to start acting in your way. That was God's hope 
that was God's hope in giving all these afflictions and trials and tribulations. And we do know, and we'll study in the future maybe one day, that there were some people who did get the message that realized, boy, we need to start cleaning up our act, right? And get right with God. There's also other people that, you know, were just hopelessly lost, right? And we'll study more of that as we look more into these minor prophet books. But that's, in general, the message here of chapter 5. The message is, hey, look, God's giving us these struggles, right? And he gives us today these struggles, too, whether it be small or big. Hopefully a lot of it is small for all you guys, right? Just a little reminder. You know, it kind of reminds me whenever something bad happens, it kicked me in the, you know, kicked me in the head to kind of think, oh, am I right with God, right? Am I doing things right with God? Why is this happening? Is there something that God's trying to call my attention to? Right? Hopefully that's with you. Hopefully you guys can cut that off before it gets to the big thing. When the lion comes and there's a big thing, you know, it's, you know, car accident. It's, you know, you lose your job. It's something, huge catastrophe in your life. We want to avoid those things, obviously. We want to be right with God. We don't want to have that to be our reminder to do the simple. The simple. To remember to follow him, follow his leading, follow his commandments. So that's the message to Israel here in chapter 5. We're going to go on to chapter 6 next time, but right now we're out of time. So let's end off with a word of prayer right now. Dear God, uh, thank you for giving us this message here from Hosea to the people of Israel. I know it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's an important warning, right? Warning, hey, that you give us. That's not always going to be, you know, a happy life as a Christian. You give us these warnings and these trials to try to get us to the right path, to get us to follow you, to get us to do the right things, Lord. May we be cognizant of that and not ignore the warnings in our lives that we say, hey, oh, you're trying to get, you're trying to, you're trying to give us this trial, you're trying to get us to go on the right path. Let's get on the right path. Let's, let's uh, turn ourselves to your will and your ways, Lord. Thank you again for this word and bless us the rest of the Sunday as we continue to worship, honor, and glorify you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.